you've not already done so, you can open your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 8, passage that Sam uh, read for us. And if you worship with us regularly, you know this is now the third Sunday in a row that we are looking at these uh, same uh, verses. Uh, the first time uh, we considered this section of uh, the book of Acts, we, we focused on uh, the, the summary of Philip's ministry there in verses 4 through 8. Uh, then we, we looked at the particular story of this man, Simon the Magician, who, who professed faith and was baptized into Jesus' name, but, but whose faith was not a, a true faith. And so we, we saw how to distinguish a, a true repentant faith from a false faith last Sunday when we looked at his story. But this morning we want to focus on verses 14 through 17 and this this interlude in Simon's story, this, this interlude where the, the apostles hear about uh, the faith of the Samaritans uh, and come to uh, investigate, come to see if it is true. And when they get there, they, they find that, yes, the, uh, the gospel has been preached, the, the, uh, the Samaritans have believed, and they've even been baptized into Jesus' name. But that, as uh, Sam was saying to the kids, the Spirit has not yet fallen on the Christians in Samaria. And so that is the, our, the, our focus this morning. Why had these Samaritans not yet received the Holy Spirit? Why was there this delay? It's the question that we want to wrestle with this morning. But to, but to get at that, we have to first understand uh, exactly what is meant by receiving the Holy Spirit. All right? when, when Luke tells us that the, the Samaritans had not yet received the Spirit, when he tells us that the, the Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them, what is he he talking about? Well, if you are familiar with the book of Acts, it, it, it almost certainly reminds you of the event that we saw back in Acts chapter 2, the, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so just flip back there with me uh, to the beginning of the book of Acts, back to chapter 2. You remember the, the story, uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived. And so remember, Pentecost, that's what we associate with the outpouring of the Spirit, but this was actually one of the Jewish feasts. Uh, it was on the day of Pentecost when they were celebrating uh, this feast uh, that the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so on the day of Pentecost, uh, they were all together, that is all of the Christians uh, there in Jerusalem, at this point numbering about 120. He says all of the Christians were together in Jerusalem, and then suddenly, uh, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house uh, where they were seat, uh, sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here on the day of Pentecost, some, some 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, 40, uh, uh, 10 days after his ascension, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church as they are gathered together for prayer. They, they receive the Holy Spirit. 
And this was in fulfillment, Peter goes on to say, of, of God's promise in the Old Testament through the prophet Joel. He, he promised that one day he would pour out his spirit like this on, on all the members of his family, from the, from the least to the greatest, men and women, servants and, and masters. He would, he would pour out his spirit on all of them, and they would all be clothed with power for Ministry. They would all uh, be endowed with the spiritual gifts that they might, that might speak the very word of God to one another. And not only did this happen to the 120 as they were gathered there together, but remember that when Peter got up to preach the gospel that day, he, he, got to preach, he, got, he stood up to preach the gospel in the power of the Spirit, and some 3,000 men uh, there in Jerusalem responded to his message. They believed him that when he proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, and they too repented and believed, and Peter promised that when they did so, they too would receive the Holy Spirit. And so Pentecost was not a, a one-time uh, event simply for the 120 who happened to be believers at that time, but it was the beginning of, of God endowing the Spirit, pouring out the Spirit upon his whole church. Right? And that's what is being talked about here, uh, and that is what is conspicuous by its absence in chapter 8. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, repent and believe and receive the Holy Spirit. When you repent and believe, you will receive the Holy Spirit. But here in chapter 8, that has not yet happened. And so, to, again, uh, think about what that means, that, that the, the, this pouring out of the Spirit was the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Back in chapter 1, Jesus had, had promised his uh, disciples that they would be clothed with power for the work of ministry to which they had been called. They had been called to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And God had promised that he was going to pour out his Spirit on them for that Work. You see, the Pentecost is not the first time that the, the Holy Spirit shows up in the pages of Scripture. The Spirit has been there from the very beginning. Remember, even in the very beginning when God creates the heavens and the earth, the, the Spirit is there hovering over the waters. And the, the Spirit was at work, not as clearly as we see it in the New Testament, but He was at work throughout the Old Testament. We know this because, because no one comes to faith apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And there were believers in the Old Testament. And so if there were believers in the Old Testament, then, then the Spirit was at work in the Old Testament. He was in, at work, get, working faith, effectually calling uh, the saints to himself. And, and we know that, that furthermore that he was at work because people were being sanctified. People were growing in holiness. And that doesn't happen apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit was there. He was, he was working in the Old Testament. But... Only a few had been clothed with power for ministry. Only a few had been clothed with power to, to fulfill their particular callings. We, we see uh, some anointed with the, the Spirit to, to lead, or some anointed with the Spirit to, to prophesy. But the promise of Pentecost, the promise of the New Testament, is that this all of God's people, every member of his family will now be clothed with power, will now be uh, anointed with the Spirit to, to do the work that they have been called to do. 
That is what sets Pentecost apart. That is the, that is the distinguishing mark of the, the New Testament church, that all believers are now filled with the Spirit. All believers are, are now endowed with the Spirit, are baptized in the Spirit, are clothed with power by the Spirit uh, for the work that they have been called uh, to do. And that is what the, uh, the, the apostles see that the Samaritans had not yet experienced. They had not yet been clothed with this power when the apostles arrived. They had faith. So, so the Spirit was at work. Uh, they, they couldn't have believed the gospel without the work of the Spirit. But they had not yet been clothed with power by the Spirit uh, to live the life that they had been called to live. Now this leads us to ask a question. Well, How, how did they know? How did the apostles know uh, that these Samaritans had not been clothed with power? Well, again, Luke doesn't tell us here specifically in chapter 8. But we can imagine that it might have been the the absence of of tongues, uh, the absence of of other uh, spiritual gifts. We, we see this as the sign elsewhere. We saw it there on the day of Pentecost in, in chapter 2, but it's not only there on the day of Pentecost that, that tongues and, and prophecy is the, the sign that people have been baptized with the Spirit. We're going to see it again in, in chapter 11. In fact, this is the, 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 the sign that Peter's going to point to, to to prove that the Gentiles have been received into the church. You see, here we see the Samaritans received into the church. In, in a few chapters, we're going to see the, the Gentiles received into uh, the church. And when, they are, when the Spirit is poured out on them, it is a confirmation that God himself approves. God himself is the one who is spreading his, his church to the ends of the earth. And so we see that throughout the book of Acts, the, uh, not only is the ministry of the gospel confirmed by signs, we saw that with Philip, we saw that with Stephen, we saw it with the apostles, these people who have been set aside to proclaim the gospel, uh, that their, their ministry is validated by signs. We also see here in this uh, first generation uh, that the reception of the gospel is often confirmed by signs. When people are poured, when the Spirit is poured out on them, they often, uh, for the first time, they often speak uh, in, in tongues or, or they, they prophesy or there's some other manifestation of the Spirit. Now, what's not said specifically here, but, but it would make sense given everything else we see in the book of Acts. But again, we have to be careful about the, the conclusions that we draw from that. Right? If it is indeed uh, the absence of tongues and the absence of, of prophecy that the apostles notice when they come to Samaria and they notice that these men have not been clothed with power, does that mean that the speaking in tongues and, and the, the prophesying is always and forever the sign of being baptized with the Spirit? There are some today who, who believe that. There are some today who, who read these accounts and think, okay, it, when someone is baptized with the Spirit, they will always... Speak in tongues. And I'll suggest to you that, that we cannot draw that conclusion because the rest of the New Testament explicitly contradicts that conclusion. The rest of the New Testament tells us clearly 
that there is not one gift that is given to all the members of the body. There is not one gift that is the sign of being filled with the Spirit, of being baptized with the Spirit. Paul says it explicitly in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the, the Spirit gives gifts as He wills according to His discretion. He doesn't give one gift to, to everyone as a, as a sure sign of, of the gifting of the Spirit. And so we can draw the same conclusion about the, this, this sign of tongues that we drew about the sign of miracles and wonders that, that validated the ministry of the word. Remember what we said there, that, that, that those signs were, were, were good and they were, they were a gracious gift from God as the, uh, as the church was being established in that first generation. And here again, it's the same thing. In the first generation, it is God's grace that allows for these very visible, tangible signs to be manifest in such a prominent way so that people can know that the gift of the Spirit has been poured out. But as the church is established, Paul tells us in his epistles that that is not always going to be the way it works throughout all of church history. That, that speaking in tongues is not the necessary sign of being baptized with the Spirit. But, but rather that we must trust that the God pours out His Spirit according to His promise on all who repent and believe. You see, it's not. It's not that, 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 the, that, the, that the Spirit is always manifest by, by tongues, but it is that the Spirit is always given to those who believe. But of course that raises another question, does it not? If the Spirit is always given to those who believe, and if the Samaritans have believed, what's going on here? Why do the Samaritans not receive the Spirit when they believe? Again, there are, there are some who suggest that this is normal, that this is, this is, this is the way that it is for uh, all of, of church history. That, that the reception of the Spirit is a second blessing. That it's something that happens after you believe. Sometimes it's, it's very closely after, sometimes it's much delayed, it's much later. But, but they are two separate events. That you, you believe the gospel and, and you are uh, baptized into Jesus' name and only sometime later as a second blessing... You receive the Holy Spirit. But again, I would, I would suggest to you that that's, that's to exactly miss the point of what's going on here. And we know that, at least in part, again, from the rest of the New Testament. Remember, as we, as we read these accounts of the, the first generation of the church, we, we have to read them in the light of uh, what the rest of the New Testament teaches us about these events. And the rest of the New Testament teaches us clearly, unambiguously, that all who believe are sealed with the Spirit. Paul, Paul says this to the Ephesians in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, when you believed, you were sealed. And we might wonder, well, is that normative? Why do we think that's normative and this is not? Why, why do we think Paul's description of the Ephesians' experiences is for everyone? Well, it's because he tells us clearly in Romans chapter 8 that that is the way that it is, that that is the normal experience for the Christian. He says, if you do not have the Spirit, then you do not have Christ. If you are in Christ, you have the Spirit. The two cannot be separated. Those who have repented and believed have been baptized with the Spirit. 
And in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul tells us that every believer who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord has been clothed with power for the work of ministry. They haven't all received the same gift. They don't all speak in tongues. I said that earlier. But they have all been clothed with power for the work that they have been called to do as Christ's church. In fact, I would suggest to you that we, we learn this not only from the rest of the New Testament, we actually, it's actually suggested to us strongly by Acts itself. You, you can't read Acts chapter 8 and not get the impression that something strange is happening here. Something unusual is happening here. The, the apostles are confused. Why have the Samaritans not received, if they've really believed, why have they not received the Holy Spirit? Something unexpected is going on, something out of the ordinary, something contrary to the normal pattern. And so the question is, why? Why the delay? Why does God delay pouring out his spirit upon the Samaritans? And I think the clue is is there. The clue is in the fact that they are Samaritans. Remember what Sam was saying to the kids, the, the Samaritans and the Jews, they, they saw themselves as entirely separate people. They, it, people who, who not only were separate, but who were at odds with one another, who were at enmity with one another, who, who didn't get along with one another. In fact, it was so much so that you remember that when Jesus decided to pass through Samaria and, and stopped at a well and actually spoke with a woman of Samaria, that his disciples were, were terribly confused. In fact, it was uh, later in Jesus' ministry that, that one of these apostles who actually shows up here wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan city. The, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. They, they were entirely separate, and they probably thought that they would always be that way. And so now Philip has taken the gospel into Samaria. He has has proclaimed the Christ in Samaria. And they have repented and they have have believed. And And God wants to drive home the point that they are now part of the one apostolic church. There are not two churches. God is not going to have two separate people, a Jewish people and and a Samaritan people. There is one church, one apostolic church. And so God sends the apostles into Samaria to confirm that they too, that the Samaritans who have believed are now part of the one apostolic church. And so it's at the hands of the apostles, through the apostles, that the the Spirit is poured out in Samaria so that everyone can be clear beyond reasonable doubt that there is one apostolic church, including both Jews and Samaritans. And so to suggest that this is a a second blessing is actually to to miss the point. The the point is that the Spirit is for all who believe, and that that includes the Samaritans. And so the the delay is actually to drive home the point. You see, the, the, the apostles were surprised that they had believed but not received. They didn't understand what was going on. And God made that, made that, um, unusual circumstance in order that we might know beyond reasonable doubt that there is one apostolic church that includes both Jews and Samaritans. That is the point. That's what's going on here. There is one church, 
And that every member of that church who, who is a member of that church by faith, by the same faith that you confessed earlier in this service, by that, that same faith that recognizes uh, themselves to be sinners, that recognizes Jesus to, to be the Son of God come in human flesh as the Savior of sinners, and that, and that recognizes that all who repent and believe in him are now joined to his church as full members. That is the gospel that is being driven home here. That every member who believes in Jesus Christ receives the Spirit. And that is what we need to see even today. We need to see that this same promise holds for us today. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have received and rested upon Him alone for your salvation, then you have been clothed with power for the work of ministry. You have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's why Paul prays for the Ephesians that that their eyes need to be opened to the uh, wonder of the immeasurable power that is now at work in those who believe. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now theirs. And how often do we need to have our eyes opened in the same way? It's not that we haven't been clothed with power. It's that we don't realize it. We, we don't understand the, the gift that has been given to us. But the clear teaching of this passage and the clear teaching of Acts as a whole and the New Testament as a whole, the clear teaching of Scripture is that if you are in Jesus Christ, you have been clothed with power for the work of of ministry. It doesn't mean that all will, will be prophets or, or, or speak in tongues. It doesn't mean that, that all will be preachers or, or teachers in the church. It doesn't even mean that all will be evangelists in the church. We, we sometimes get that one wrong in the evangelical church today. We're, we're fond of, of, of saying that everyone is, is an evangelist. Not so. Not all are, are called to be pre, pre, uh, uh, preachers and teachers. Not all are, are called to be uh, evangelists. We are gifted differently. But we are all gifted. We have all been clothed with power for the work of ministry, a work of building up the body towards maturity in Christ. Think again of, of Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, listen, God has given gifts to his church so that all the saints might do the work of ministry so that every member of the body might do its part. And with every member doing its part, the whole body might be knit together in love. The whole body might grow up towards maturity in Jesus Christ. It's the point that he makes clearly in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 4, uh, 12 through 14. That God has given gifts to his saints. Different gifts, distributed according to his will, according to his wisdom. But he has given gifts to the saints that the whole church might be built up. And that means that none of us should be purely consumers. Now you've heard me say it before. You should be a consumer. <laughs> I, I, I want to make that point clear. When, when you come to church, you should be ministered to. You should, you should feast upon the Word of God. You should, you should be encouraged and, and strengthened by, by the Word sung, by the Word prayed, by the Word confessed. You should be a consumer. You should be consuming. You should be feasting upon the Word. You should be feasting at the table. You should be ministered to when you gather together with God's people, but you should also be ministering 
You should be a minister to the other members of the body. It doesn't mean that, that you all have to have a, a formal role to play. It doesn't mean that you have to be a Sunday school teacher or a greeter or an usher, although we would love to involve you in, in those ministries if you are so inclined. But whether you have a formal role or not, you are to be a minister of the gospel among the people of God. You have been clothed with power to speak the truth in love to your neighbors. You have been clothed with power to, to help uh, others grow up towards maturity. For some of you, that's your kids. Your kids are your, are your, are your first disciples whom you are helping to grow up in maturity. Others of you, it's your, it's your friends who, who you, are, you are strengthening and encouraging one another in community as you, as you seek to grow up in towards Christ. Others of you, it's, it's co-workers. Some of you are people who don't even yet know the Lord, but you have the opportunity to confess Christ to them as the reason for your hope and, and in the power of the Spirit to invite them to come and to, to hear more about this Jesus who is your Savior. But the reality is that all of us have been clothed with power for building up the saints and for God, calling God's elect into faith. You have been clothed with power. You may not all have the same gift, but the Holy Spirit is at work in you for the work of ministry. You can speak the truth in love to your kids, to your friends, to your co-workers, to your extended family, to whomever it is that God has, has given uh, to you that you might uh, be to them the source of truth and life. See, this pouring out of the Spirit, it is not a second blessing. It's, it's not reserved for some. The baptism of the Spirit is for all who believe. And because it is for all who believe, because all of us are clothed with power for the work of ministry, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the wonder of this promise. We, we thank you for driving home the point in, in, in such an extraordinary way with the, the Samaritans, Father, showing us that the Spirit is for all who repent and believe. It's not, not for some, but it is for all, so that we might have our eyes open to the wonder of the immeasurable power that is now at work in us who believe. Father, in, uh, in humble confidence in that power, May we be faithful ministers of your gospel. May we speak the truth in love at every opportunity, in season and out of season, all to the praise of your glory and the good of your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.